Greetings and welcome one and all to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Householder, joined by my co-host, Emily Langpaul. Hello. Hi, Emily. How are you? I am really excited for this uh, conversation. We're If you're tuning in and you're new to this podcast, we're reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year. And uh, we are up to the Gospel of Mark on our New Testament track. We're in the back half of Numbers in our Old Testament track. On this podcast, we're going to zoom in on the New Testament stuff. Uh, and specifically, Matthew... Mark, did I say Matthew the yeah. whole time? I meant Mark. Gospel mm-hmm. of Mark. Uh, <laughs> I hope you guys prepared for Mark. Um, <laughs> and we're going to read through Mark and talk through Mark 11 through 16. So if you've got your Bibles at home... Open them up, tune in, and uh, Emily, yeah. we have some great guests here. Some really great ones. You might know the first one, Danny Householder, lead pastor at Hope Ames. How good are you? Here. Really good. Yeah. How's Not- Hope Ames? Hope Ames is great. Yeah. We're we're having a blast. Um, uh, just got done with Super Bowl food drive, like all of our other campuses. We had a record year for that, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hope Ames is growing faster than ever, but uh, as we grow wide, we're growing really deep, including with our college ministry, which I know people like to know about. Kairos is... A cool thing. We meet tonight, 8 o'clock. There There's go. also a home Iowa State basketball game tonight, 8 o'clock. So mm-hmm. if you've ever wondered, like, I don't know, that room's too crowded for me, tonight is the night. <laughs> There's room for there. you. Yeah. We also have Jamie Richards, Revive Young, Young Adult Minister. That's me. Hello. How's, how's Revive? So good. So, so good. You also have a big night coming. Yes. We have a Worship in the Round tomorrow night, Thursday the 16th. Worship in the Round is this cool night where we rearrange the chairs in the chapel where we meet into a large circle. So rather than kind of facing forward for worship, we face each other and the musicians are in the middle and the vibe is really different. It's a special night. So it's always so good. It's so good. If you're a young adult and you are within driving distance, and even if you're not, you might want to get a flight. Um, you, you, you're going to want to be here for revive at seven. If you're a college student, uh, go, go to Ames or go to Iowa city. We've got a Kairos there too. Um, so yeah, we've got some, we've got some young adults represented here yeah, today. It's yeah. good. Uh, college young adults. We've got, uh, we've got full hydration. We've got our pastor Mike trap mugs <laughs> and Jamie brought seven extra or so. Hey, I like uh, my bevies. Yeah. Yeah. And you said one was what coffee? Well, so I've got my coffee to keep me awake Okay, and I've got my water to actually hydrate and whatever air we've got, we would just have air in here today, but <laughs> <laughs> you're prepared. Maybe Gatorade. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. I am prepared for anything on this podcast. Today. Well, that's great. There you go. Water, life, hydration. Locked and loaded. Yeah. Yep. It's Let's good. go though. We've got some questions that these are a summary of some of the questions that we've been hearing throughout the week uh, about people uh, and thousands of people are doing these Bible readings. It's so exciting. Uh, and so you bring us your questions and you can also uh, share live questions on our social media pages, as you said. Uh, so feel free to get those, and we'll get to as many as we can as we go. But we got some good questions, so yeah, let's do it. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh yeah, no, should have saw that coming. Okay, first one: What do many Bible readers and teachers get wrong about the widow's offering in Mark twelve forty two? I'm going to go ahead and start with that one, mm-hmm. uh, which is rare. But this this is a this is one that I've been uh, talking about for years and years and years, and. There's no doubt that the widow's offering, it's a pretty famous story. She gives her last two coins and everybody says, wow, isn't that great? And the way it gets taught and understood oftentimes is, hey, everybody, you should be like her. Mm. You, should give your last, you should give your last two coins. Mm. It, when you think about your offering, a lot of times this is used in stewardship sermons or, or, or teachings. Uh, when, you give your, when you think about your offerings to the church or to some religious organization or to some cause, 
you should be like her. You should be giving everything you've got the last few coins. And yes, the Bible does talk about giving all of us, you know, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's true. And it's not the woman's fault. Her giving like that is sacrificial, and it is a beautiful thing, and it is wonderful. But it's so misinterpreted because it's used to guilt Christians into giving more than they really should be giving. If you're down to your last two coins, the church should be giving to you. Mm. You shouldn't be giving to the church. And before people think this is, you know, heresy, let me show you actually and, and invite you to look through this. Go go ahead and open your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 12, and you'll see that the story starts in verse 41. Jesus is sitting down in the near the temple by the collection box with some of his followers. And he sees this woman and he says, I tell you the truth, verse 43, this poor widow is given more than all the others who are making contributions. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor as she is, is given everything she had to live on. Mm -hmm. And then what gets preached is, so go and do the same. But if you just go up the verse before that, it says, look at these uh, chief priests, these leaders of the synagogue, uh, the religious establishment, they shamely cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public, because of this, they'll be severely punished. Jesus is talking general context, beware of these temple priests because they devour widows' houses. Here's a widow, mm -hmm. like her right there. She is guilted into giving her last two coins, mm -hmm. and that is not the point of the story then to say, do like she does. Instead, we should say as the church, whoa, <laughs> be careful. When it comes to money and giving, Teach what scripture teaches to those who much is given, much is expected in return. Give generously, give sacrificially. All that's there. So, so I'm not trying to just say something here to, to make everybody think, oh, I don't have to give. That's not what scripture says. Giving produces joy. You talked about the Super Bowl food drive at all of our campuses. There are people mm -hmm. upstairs right now, been hanging out with them this morning, who are filling up trucks, their own trucks, volunteers, yeah. taking two and a half plus tons of food out to every food pantry in central Iowa and everybody is having a great day up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, every, the happiest people at Hope are the people who serve and give. This is not an anti-giving or serving text. It is to say, church, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility, religious leaders, to make sure that you don't use guilt and shame to try to manipulate people to give what they aren't spiritually prepared to give. Um, so I, I think it's important that we read what scripture actually says about that. Sorry for the long answer, but it's a, it's it was a, a good one. It's an important one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. How can we faithfully interpret Mark 13, seven and eight in light of recent headlines about earthquakes and wars and severe weather events? Jamie. Yes. Okay. I think this is such a good question. And just mm -hmm. for context, I'm going to just read yeah, this scripture you. because we have the reference up, but not the verse. So let me, oh my gosh, I brought my like seminary. It's a like, floppy Bible. It's a floppy Bible. It's the new annotated Oxford. It's wow. like the gold standard that they make you have. So I brought the hefty one today. You're Sorry. about to graduate yeah. from seminary, by the way. We should yes. we should say how excited we are about so that. So exciting. Yes. Awesome. In May. And I'm going to walk. People are like, are you going to walk? Absolutely. And I'm like, heck, yes, I am. It's and been I say, a lot of work. Yeah, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to go walk across the stage, have them hand me a piece of paper. For my efforts. It's a little more than a piece of paper. Yes. It's a master's degree. Yeah. So well done. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So Mark chapter 13, this verse is so often taken out of context to talk about end times, but I think it's mm. important to see it in context. So uh, Jesus is saying, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And the easy part of reading this verse is to say, oh my goodness, we have earthquakes. We have wars happening Mm -hmm. right now. This must be talking about us. It's easy when we're reading scripture to just take something out of its context and apply it to our lives. And God does usually work in ways where we can read scripture like that, Mm -hmm. where Jesus says something that we can read it and at its face value, it means something for us. Mm -hmm. This, however, is a dangerous verse to read that way. If you look at the context of it, Jesus is actually talking about the destruction of the temple. Nowhere here does Jesus say the end of the world as we know it or anything Mm, even remotely hinting of that. He's talking about something much more current event. Yes. And he's actually saying, don't be distracted. When you hear about these things, don't let it Mm. make you think of the apocalypse. He's actually saying, I'm talking about something much more specific. Don't like go crazy and make this apply to something else. Like we're just talking about the temple here. That's really good. I I just dawned on me. We're blowing some people away right now. (laughs) We're tuning in like, yeah. So the widow's coins, that's I've been reading that wrong. Mark 13 isn't about the end times. It's about the destruction of the temple. Because the way the temple gets used throughout Scripture, even if we go back into our Old Testament readings for this week from Numbers and before that, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, now we're going Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When we look at these stories, you start to realize the prominence and the importance of the temple. And eventually it's going to be the temple in the Old Testament. But before that, it's the tabernacle. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's, it symbolizes the presence of God amongst God's people. And so the temple, it's a big deal. But all throughout this part of our reading in the New Testament, Jesus is kind of putting the temple in a new light. He's saying, I'm the temple. Mm. He's saying, I'm gonna, I could destroy that building that you call the temple in three days and, and, and rebuild it again to symbolize or, or to foretell about his death and resurrection. Well, yeah, because isn't Jesus doing an interesting thing here where he's kind of drawing parallels between himself and the yes. temple, right? Like this yes. whole like building that hosts the pre- host, host is, the host is with the most is. <laughs> <laughs> like he hosts God's presence slash he is God's presence. Like Jesus is obviously a genius and he's doing some interesting things here and they didn't always pick up on it and neither do we, but mm. we try. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, there, there's a whole lot going on here. As the temple uh, is talked about, symbolizing the presence of God, Jesus switching that into saying, I'm the temple. So we find, we put our faith in him, not a building. Uh, It's not about the building. It's about the savior. It's about the Messiah. It's about the one that we're called to follow. Yeah. Okay. Going to some deeper questions. Why do so many people hate Christians and how should Christians respond? Hmm. Danny. Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Uh, If you look through Twitter for 10 seconds, Mm. you're going to find someone who's upset with Christians. Mm. If you look through Twitter for 20 seconds, you're going to find 20 Christians who are upset with people for being upset with Christians. Mm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sure. And And round and round we go. Yep. And we're really good at throwing punches back. And Jesus doesn't match punches with punches. He takes their fists and matches it with a way bigger heart. Mm. I wonder if we're heading down the wrong road. If when people think about Christians, the first thing they think about is judgment, um, condescension, bitterness, anger, uh, victimization, different Mm -hmm. things like that. As Christians, we're not victims. We're victorious. You know, Mm -hmm. we won. Jesus won. Yeah. We should share that with the world around us. Um, I, I remember, uh, an article that was written about hope, uh, back in 2010, uh, Des Moines magazine. I don't know if it's still a thing or not, but they, they did Mm -hmm. it. 
Um, and it was about this church called Hope. They literally called it a place called Hope, the article. And it's crazy how this, this church in central Iowa is blowing up. It's, it's just getting huge. And you could tell the author was skeptical mm. at the beginning of the article. Like, oh boy, it's another one of those mega churches. And now we have one in central Iowa. Here we go, right? Mm. And then they talked about the sermon that you were preaching and how you talked about, and it was going into the Super Bowl week as well. How about how the the network had rejected a uh, commercial that was going to encourage people to look up John 3.16. And the author said, and here you go, another sermon about those poor Christians. Right. And then the author was blown away of this article because you switched the sermon to, well, what if the problem's us? Mm. You know, what, what if the reason why they don't want to hang out with us is because we're mean? The reason why they don't want to hang out with us is because we make you try out for us just as every other group in the world makes you do. You know, put this in the context of the first two questions, too. What, what if the problem is us in the way we're reading some of these texts, making assumptions that we trust our tradition in the way it's been taught more than what the scriptures actually say? And this, I'll say this again. I've said this on a couple of previous podcasts. Reading these stories in context, reading the text in context really brings them to life into new ways. Uh, and I think part of the reason Christians hate Christians is because the culture is is lost and, and wandering on all sorts of levels. But that's only part of it. Part of the reason that people hate Christians is because of Christians. It's because of our attitude. It's because of our lack. I mean, love is the greatest commandment. Jesus yeah. does not make that optional. But love is not what comes out of us most of the time. And we get defensive. Uh, we sound like the rest of the world. We get divisive. We get distracted. Um, we, we, we go down these roads. I, I think that's a really good point, Danny. And, and in light of what you said, Jamie, about Mark 13. So there is stuff here that's kind of scary. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the sacrilege, the desolation of the temple, the, all, all these things happening and, and things falling apart in our lives that we, that we learn to trust. But part of the problem is us. Mm -hmm. I think it was Gandhi who is quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Right. And and just one more quick thing, and I want to hear yes. more about that. So when we get Mark 13 wrong about what's to come in the future, even though it's not about the end times, it is about the future. And there's transferable principles there. When we lose hope mm. yeah. and we lose love and we lose faith and we lose the things that Christians are supposed to be about and we stop leading with those things and we just put boxing gloves on and fight, we say, well, we got to, we got to defend ourselves. Actually, Follow Jesus. All right, go back to Gandhi and, and yeah. Jesus and all that stuff. Please say more. Well, no, what you just said is so real. And in one of the classes that I was just in, bringing it back to seminary, mm -hmm. we've been looking at the nuns, not N-U-N, not women, you yes. know, uh, yes. who are wearing their nun getup, but the but people who are now are not religiously affiliated. N-O-N-E-S. N-O-N-E-S. Mm -hmm. Or the duns, people who have walked away from church or have no interest in connecting with a faith community because they just don't see fruit from it. Uh, I was mm. talking with a friend recently who was like, why would I be involved in something that would add chaos to my life? And that mm. comment really struck oh. with me is that, and I, I don't see that here at Hope. And there's so many churches where we're faithful and faithfully trying to live out our call into this world. But some of us, and I say us because we're, this is all of us at some point in time, right? Like it can be so easy to just slide into a ditch where we let... Let's talk Danny's some more Twitter stuff. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk some more about this because you represent the young adult ministry here, college ministry plus Hope Ames. Uh, in addition to all the other things you do with Church Life, Emily, mm -hmm. you also have underneath your umbrella of leadership uh, the youth and family stuff that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we often hear about young generations turning into nuns and duns, people falling mm -hmm. away from the church. 
how much of this is because what they read in scripture doesn't align with the way the church behaves and acts? Yeah, I think it's really confusing for young mm-hmm. people uh, when they have the ability to read what's in scripture and it's right there. And then they see something else happening. I mean, people can smell uh, insincerity from a mile yeah. away. Yeah. And they don't want to be a part of that. And I don't blame them for it either. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why we have seen, and I'm not saying we're the only church in the world that does it right. There's a lot that do no, it right. Far from it. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons why we're seeing some explosive growth amongst young people is because they are seeing that you actually can live what you're reading in this. It's why we have this whole Holy Bible in the year. Read it, learn it, and live it. It's not just about being biblically literate, as you've said before. It's about being biblically fluent. We actually live this out. And there is a way to do it in the world, but it starts with love. And if you open your doors and you show that this is a place where you don't have to become something before you belong, but instead you will belong and that will help you transform into something you never believed you could be because of the work of Jesus in you. I mean, it, it's it's contagious. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely contagious. Yeah. So people don't want to go away from that. They, they want to be a part of that. Yeah. Right. I think before they get to that point, often what happens when they're done is church hurt can be a really real thing. Sure. Uh, whether it's inside the walls or out, if somebody is hurt by something a Christian did or didn't do, then they apply that to the whole group. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're fond around here of saying we're not perfect and we don't pretend to be like that authenticity is really real. Like, we all make mistakes, but the fact is we're trying to love each other well. And the more we do that, the more people see like, oh, this is real. I can belong here. Mm -hmm. But when you have had something in your past from a Christian or a church hurt you, it leads to that being done. And so we don't want to, we want to do whatever we can to prevent that. Right away in his Sermon on the Mount, when we were reading Matthew uh, earlier this year, Jesus makes some really radical statements. He, he insists on love. He insists on turning the cheek, for instance, when, when we get hit, which is hard to do. I mean, we do get hit. We, mm-hmm. we, we get hit a lot. Christians get hit a lot. When Jesus says here in Mark 13, verse 13, part of our reading, uh, you're going to be hated because of me. You know, you, you, because you're my followers, people will just hate you. That, that is a transferable, almost timeless truth. The beginning of his Sermon on the Mount he says, among other things, blessed are those of you who are persecuted. And I think in part because he knew we would be. Mm-hmm. Christian persecution is on the rise. And it's, it's already been huge a, a decade ago. But it continues to get worse. There's lists of nations you know, that are the worst. And one of, one of the nations that's gotten onto the top 10 list of where Christians are persecuted the most is one of the biggest nations in the world now. It's India. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about over 1.4 billion people, I think, the population of India now. Mm. Talking about a significant percentage of people who are trying to become Christian, even if that's just 2 or 3% of the population, which is, I think it is, last I checked. That's massive persecution against a lot of people uh, because of that. One of the things we're doing in this Bible year, our Lenten project is going to be to try to get Bibles into the hands of people who live in India mm. um, so, so that they can have the hope of Jesus who says, look, you shouldn't be surprised when you get criticism. You shouldn't be surprised when you get persecuted. You shouldn't be surprised when you get hated. That helps, actually. Honestly, that helps me to know. It's like Jesus is not like, oh, my goodness, why are you getting hated? It must be something that's off. Well, if the world's upside down and you're trying to lead a life that is Christ-centered, it isn't going to fit. They killed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they crucified him. So that probably shouldn't surprise us when, as his followers, we get persecuted. And in America, we don't get persecuted anything like 
people are getting persecuted with violence and death and martyrdom and all sorts of hor- horrendous things all around the world. Here we get criticized. Here we take verbal hits. Here we get um, canceled, dismissed, whatever. We, we get pushed to the sidelines. Um, but it's true. It, it was interesting. Uh, and who knows when people are going to hear this podcast. It could be years from now. But the Super Bowl that we, we just had, the football game, they ran some ads called He Gets Us. Mm-hmm. Two of them cost a lot of money. And Danny, you referred to you know Twitter hate. Mm-hmm. Immediately, people are saying how terrible this is because uh, they should have spent that money on giving to the poor, which, you know, is kind of a misunderstanding of part of our reading here for today, too, uh, that people were criticizing Jesus because a woman poured expensive perfume all over him and anointed him, and they just didn't get it. Jesus was saying, you should give to the poor. You should help the poor. Of course you should. But even more important than that is having a relationship with me. In fact, the deeper your relationship with me, the more it's going to inspire you and everybody around you to give to the poor uh, and to serve. So the criticism against these ads is the money that they spent. uh, And we can debate that all day long. But secondarily, the criticism and the primary, the the majority of the criticism came from other Christians. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, oh, the, um, you know, the sin-filled, uh, heretical world out there that just doesn't believe the, 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 that's the problem. They're going to hate us. Sometimes we're really good at hating ourselves, hating, hating one another within mm-hmm. the body of Christ because, you know, you just don't do it the way I do it. Jesus said, whoever's not against us is for us. But boy, do we conveniently forget that as Christians because you don't do it the way we do it or the way I'm comfortable um, you express yourselves too much. You, you, you paid for these ads. You did these things that pointed people to Jesus. I'm not trying to defend the ads or criticize the ads. I'm just saying, put, I think we could put our swords away and we do a whole lot better in representing Christ in this world. It is, it is fascinating to me that I've been a pastor of a church that has become a mega church. We've been a mega church for probably 25 of the 30 years I've been here. Mm. And in those 25 years, by far, Far the majority of the Christian uh, criticism has come from Christians, not in hope, but outside of hope, who see mm-hmm. us and just don't like the way it's done. Yeah. What does that say? At a certain point, does it really say a whole lot about us or does it say a whole lot about the state of the hearts of Christians? And I think it's hurting our witness. You know, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't help our witness. That doesn't say like, look, we actually have a lot of fun over here. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of love. There's extra love to go around. You know, when we tear each other apart, it actually tears down the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a family. I mean, imagine you had a middle son uh, that you just didn't like at all. Yeah. And things were, oh, yeah, sorry, Danny, how you doing? You're right there. No, I understand. Um, <laughs> that's a, actually a silly example. We love you very much, of course. But let's say in family, especially if you think about extended family, um, that not everybody always gets along, but your family, we're, we're supposed to hold together. We're supposed to hold and you on. Can, you can acknowledge when you've been hurt by a member of your family yeah. and have a conversation. Let, let's, hold, be, let's be mature about it. Yes, hold one another accountable, offer forgiveness, extend forgiveness, all of those things. This is a healthy way to process this. Sometimes mm-hmm. we don't like to remember the end of Jesus's um, instruction. They will know that you are Christians by your love, and we just mm-hmm. kind of stop it there. But it's for your by your love for one another. Mm. It's almost as if he says, I know that every single family system, every single organization, every single sports team that's ever supposed to be a that's supposed to be a dynasty, but falls apart because there's toxicity within the locker room or something like that. I know that those things happen. 
And the only way that the world is going to know that I really sent you is they will see that it's an absolute miracle that you've stuck together, even though you disagree Mm -hmm. on things. Mm -hmm. Because if we're watching an ad and the thing that it says on the screen in front of 100 million people across the country, and it says, Jesus loved the people that we hate. And I wonder who's that message directed at? It's not there. It's not directed at secular people who say I'm not Christian. Christians, Jesus loves the people you hate. But if I read that and if I see that, my first reaction is, well, they're not like me. Right. <laughs> right. Love one another. Like, and I mean, love other Christians. Yeah. You know, well, and the hate for these ads came from what you would call the left, the progressive church, and also from the right, the yeah. conservative or uh, legalistic side of the church, because it just didn't fit with their really extremes. One last thing I think is important to say about this, because everybody who's listening to us gets criticized. It's not just church leaders. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to get criticized. And sometimes the more you do things in public, the more you're going to cr- get criticized. I think the most faithful way to handle criticism is to see it for what it is, but then also to hear it. Because there might be a shred of truth in that. To hum- mm-hmm. to humble, to be humble enough. To, so as Hope has been criticized over the years, yeah. I try to listen. I, I just say, well... Mm-hmm. Is there a shred, even though I don't like the way it was done, I don't like, I don't think that was fair. Yeah. I don't think it was right. Is there a shred of truth in this? Is, is there something about this that'll make us a more faithful church? Um, yeah, let's stay humble about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that it, no matter how big hope gets, no matter how far our reach our influence, that we never start falling into the trap of thinking, oh, we're a substitute for Jesus. Like somehow we've perfected it now. Far from it. Um, so yeah, you know, criticism is no fun, but when it comes, try to, try to hear it, try to listen. Yeah. Really good. Next question. Why did Jesus ask his father to take his, this cup of suffering away in Mark 14, 36, Mm. Jamie? Yeah. Start us out. Okay. So a lot of really good things to talk about here Mm. when we talk about suffering and Jesus asking the father to take away suffering. We, have a hard time as human beings wrapping our heads around the dual natures of Jesus Christ, that he is both fully God and fully human Mm -hmm. at the same time. And the analogies that we try to use always fall a little bit short. And so it can be really difficult to think about like, well, what really is happening here is, is Jesus not the father also? Like, is Jesus not God? Could he not remove this suffering? One of the things that gives me hope is that when I am suffering, I know that Jesus experienced suffering as well Mm -hmm. in that. And that in that same way, Jesus is with me in my suffering. He knows exactly what it is that I face. So uh, I think it's interesting to talk about then with Jesus in his human nature, but still fully God is having a dialogue with God about the nature of what he's tackling. Like what is, mm. what is it here that he's taking on? He's ta- taking on the suffering of all humanity for us. And he still went for it and, and fully leaned into and took on all of our suffering for us for eternity. That's so good. Uh I had a professor in seminary who said, if Jesus is getting too human for you, remember he's God. If Jesus is getting too divine for you, remember he's Mm -hmm. human. Um, And this is just one of those texts that's a little uncomfortable because we find ourselves right in the middle of it. Jesus has just been betrayed. He's um, attacked. Uh, He's in the the face of, of chaos. There's confusion going on. And Jesus is a human being. And it doesn't mean it's sinful or weak. It's just very honest and human, as you're saying, to, mm-hmm. to cry out and say, hey, you know, there's another yeah. way. <laughs> is, there, yeah, right. is there another possibility here yeah. besides going to that cross and getting the nails? Um, and having to, he, he knew where he was going. He, he told his disciples three times this would happen. It's not like it was a shock or a surprise. It's just 
Yeah. You know, when it comes, it's hard. It hurts. Yeah, I think it can be easy to think about God as the Father taking on the sins of the world. Yeah. And so we just kind of park our camp or park our truck there in that camp for a while. But right. Jesus also has humans taking on he, all human suffering. If I don't, I mean, maybe lightning bolts will come here. But if that's me, I certainly don't have the fortitude to take on the hum, the sins of all humanity. Right. That's honest. And it reminds us that we're not the Messiah, which is yep. actually a really mature, healthy, spiritual place to be. Yeah. But we know who he is. Yeah. And that's really good news. There's a word in the Bible that I love in biblical Greek. Uh, it's the word for endurance, but it literally means to hyperstand. Mm. And it describes what Jesus has done for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says he endured the cross. He hyperstood the cross. Mm. And it's a military term in which somebody would have to stand in front of their entire army. And if they budged an inch, everybody else's hope behind them would be lost. Mm. And so what it's describing Jesus is doing is he's standing in the face of our waves and he's taking, taking them. Mm. So when the Bible encourages us, now you hyperstand, now you endure, you're only standing behind him. The one who said, I know this is going to hurt. Jesus didn't want the pain. He didn't want the pain. Like when we look at when Jesus is approaching the cross, mm -hmm. he's not like, yeah, death, <laughs> pain, whipping, agony. No, he said, you, it's you that I want. And I will hyperstand mm -hmm. for you. I'm not going anywhere. So I, I think that it, it goes, I mean, it's, it's the entire framework of Mark. I mean, mm -hmm. Mark, you know, 11 through 16, the chapters, it's describing the last week of Jesus's life. Why? Because everything's leading up to this. Yep. All of Jesus's teachings, all of his miracles, it's for what? It's for our redemption. All of the Bible leads to this yeah. week. Mm -hmm. it, it, everything leads to the to the cross and the empty tomb. This so Mark's highlighting it. He's putting a third of his gospel on this. Again, I would encourage our listeners, the Bible readers, man, the great thing about reading this together and diving deep into these texts as we go, instead of just doing a Bible year on your own and, and trying to wing it and get yourself through and not really getting it. The thing about doing this together is I would encourage those of you who want to look for the deeper stuff, watch this. Everybody's like, well, John's gospel is so deep and it's so rich because when Jesus does the three denials, then it follows up with Jesus giving him three questions. So three, three questions for three denials. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it is beautiful. It's art. It's, it's the kind of thing God would write. Mark does the same thing. And it's right here in this text. And I think on our screen, it said Mark 15, 36. It's actually Mark 14, 36. So just a gentle correction. If you're looking for it in 15, it's in 14. Um, and so Mark does it in, in the beginning, what John does at the end. He does it as a preview. He says, uh, three times Jesus went to pray. It's one prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it's in three parts. Mm -hmm. And Mark makes sure we hear that. He even says for a third time, Jesus prayed. And for a third time, he had to go to his disciples and say, wake up, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is just so rich symbolically. It's like Jesus saying to his church, would you please wake up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you please awaken mm -hmm. to the reality of how good I am and how this is it. This is everything the Old Testament prophets were pointing to. This is everything the creation story points to, our need. This is me bringing the kingdom of God. This is me turning the world right side up. This is it. And you're going to sleep? Hmm. Seriously? In the So that's us in the story. We're like, hey, Jesus, that's nice and everything, but you know, I'm a little tired. Uh, and here's God in the story. In the person of Jesus Christ, he's praying three different times. And Peter's right in the middle of it all. And so Mark is saying three times Jesus is praying. And the third time Jesus goes to Peter and the other disciples and says, fine, get mm -hmm. some rest. Mm -hmm. You're going to need it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it be, be ready for what's ahead. And then, boom, Peter denies three times. And 
just as Jesus said, and Peter insisted he never would, the literary masterpiece of the Gospel of Mark is so underrated. Mm. Well, and one thing that I have found, and I think maybe most of you will have found as well, is that for the nuns or the duns or people who are marginally involved with faith or Christianity or whatever, hit a wall when crisis happens, when suffering happens. Mm -hmm. That's usually what will bring people back to a a space of worship or back through church doors. It's because of this suffering thing that Jesus gets and he meets us in our suffering. And, you know, we can easily lose our way and get distracted with all the other things that we've got going on in our life and think that, oh, this is maybe marginally this I'm, I'm motioning to the Bible for the audio listeners, right? That this book will marginally impact my life. It might be a nice idea, but man, when the suffering comes, that's where really some rubber meets the road for people. I yeah. think one of the most common questions that we get as pastors and ministers is, is how do I help my friend mm-hmm. who's hurting, who's suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here in the story that you're referencing where the disciples are falling asleep, how are they going to help Jesus in the worst moment of his life? Yes. He thinks he's going to die and he is. Mm-hmm. And they can't stay awake for him, right? And how many times in my life has somebody come to me and they say, I, I need some help and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Mark keeps on asking this question throughout the gospel account. Who is this man? Who do you say he is? He's the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who can actually satisfy every single need that every single person's ever asked for when they come to you and they say, I need help. And you say, I don't think I can. And Jesus says to the disciples, I know you can't. So you sleep mm-hmm. and I'm going to go save the world. Mm-hmm. One of the things about reading this like six chapters in a row over a week and diving into it and doing the studies and doing the podcast and doing all this again is we see it in context and it just emphasizes how important Christ is as we've already talked about how he helps us through our suffering how he is it like like from from beginning to end and I mean end through eternity how he's more important than our causes which is Oh, man, that makes us uncomfortable mm-hmm. because so much of Christianity these days has been minimized. And I and I use that word intentionally. It's been minimized into something of Jesus. That's great and everything. But it's really all about what we do. It's all about the causes we and the justice we pursue and everything that we, we go for. It absolutely is about that, but it isn't all about that. That is actually a natural production of that's fruit that gets produced because we're connected to the vine. That's then the vine is Jesus Christ. It seems really interesting to me that the churches who actually walk more than talk on missions and justice and doing these things instead of just instead of just talking about it and posting about it and and making statements about it and and criticizing those who don't align exactly where I might align on the details of those issues those social issues those justice issues is that the churches that actually focus the most on Jesus do the most when it comes to making a difference uh, on these justice issues in our world today. One thing leads to another. So do you really want to feed the poor? Do you really want to stand for justice? Do you really want to make a difference in this world for people who are suffering, for people who are hurting? Get to know Jesus. Because he's going he's gonna to change your whole life and transform you, me, us, together, the church. And we're going to start hitting on some cylinders we were missing on before because we were putting carts before horses and saying, well, it's all about what we do and the causes that we stand for and the things that we're at. Now, that's a natural outflow of having a deep yeah. transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good. Next is what is the significance of the curtain being torn in two at the crucifixion of Jesus in Mark fifteen thirty-eight? So this is a um, story that everything comes to culmination. Jesus dies and Mark Mm -hmm. makes the point in 1538 
uh, of saying at that moment, the curtain in the temple uh, was torn in two. I've already talked about how significant the temple is. It symbolized the presence of God. And the temple was the building, and people were misunderstanding, well, we practically worship the building instead of Christ, who is now the living temple for us. And then he's going to teach, and the New Testament is going to teach, we become like many temples. We become living stones uh, of this holy temple. Mm -hmm. So what we do is the body of Christ, and it represents it. But specifically, the curtain being torn in two at Jesus' crucifixion is another example of, of just the literary beauty of Mark. And I'm going to say this quickly. The only other time, the Greek word for it is schizomenos. The only other time that word shows up in all of Mark's gospel is when Jesus is baptized. In fact, I think it's the only time in the whole New Testament. Mm. I need to probably double check that. But it's certainly the only other time in Mark's gospel. So it happens when Jesus comes on the scene and says the kingdom of God is at hand. He's going to say that soon. Uh, his first words out of his mouth. But before he starts, the curtain opens in the temple, which represents the presence of God. Here comes Jesus. Heaven's opening up. Mm. Jesus dies on the cross. <sighs> heaven's open. It, it's now not just open for descendants of Abraham and Sarah. It's open for all the rest of us, too. Jesus is that big. Mm -hmm. That the place where everybody thought the presence of God was uh, and said and taught, and that was biblical, that this is where God resides. Now that is open yeah, in a way that it's been closed before because the Holy of Holies, where the, where the curtain is, is a place that only a certain priest once a year from a certain tribe can get into. Mm. Now everybody can come. Yeah, that's just what I was going to ask. Isn't that the, the separating curtain from the Holy of Holies to the rest and now God's out? It is. And so what we didn't have access to before, the kingdom of God, now we have access. Mm -hmm. What good news. I mean, what, what, a, what a hopeful thing. That's just, that's just absolutely awesome. So that's cool. great. Yes. Um, looking at the end of Mark, why are there three different endings to the gospel of Mark? Danny, what do you know about that? Yeah. Um, you know, this will really trip people up and be like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Um, this fits in with Mark's narrative and the question he's trying to ask you. Mark is presenting the case and the work of Jesus to show you who Jesus is, but he is not going to preach it at you. He tells you at the very beginning, Jesus is the Messiah. And then throughout the rest of the book, he has a lot of different people who are taking a look and for themselves, who do they say that Jesus is? Jesus' family in Mark chapter four say, uh, get this guy out. He's, he's lost his mind, right? Um, you've got the disciples who say, I think you're the Messiah, but that means that you're a political revolutionary, right? And no, I, I don't think that's it either. And then it's the Roman officer at the cross who says, this is clearly the son of God. And how does he realize that? It's by the way that Jesus died. So now when the women show up to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. Mark gives you that in his original ending. The tomb is empty. And the angel says, he's risen from the dead. Mark is asking you, who do you say he is? Yeah. He's allowing you into this story. Now, don't get me wrong. These endings that show up after this, they happened, right? We have yeah. other biblical accounts. It's not that like tell they're untrue. This is what mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is they're talking about a public event. They could have gone to any other person in the Jerusalem area and said, hey, did this really happen? And nobody could say, no, it didn't. And here's why. I mean, they could say this is exactly what happened because it was a public event. So these are things that I do believe are added later in time, but it is not because they didn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's to fill in the blanks for people who may be reading that. It's good. But again, Mark finishes it with inviting you into the story. Yeah. So if you're one of those people, what do you think? Yeah. I, it's interesting. So you could, you could, for our listeners who are unsure what we're talking about, 
it looks like Mark 16, like the whole gospel of Mark ends in verse 20. Yeah. If you read all the text, Mm -hmm. but then you go at the halfway through verse eight and it says most ancient manuscripts of Mark conclude here. And then there's a little bit of a longer ending, like an extension to verse eight. And then there's a much longer ending that goes all Mm -hmm. the way through verse 20. So people are like, well, what's, Mm -hmm. what's in, in, you know, people really malign this when they start to say, so this proves nobody really knows what the Bible says. You can't trust it. You don't even know where it ends. Hog wash, (laughs) which is just absolute nonsense. It really gets to Danny, your point. Mark's ending it in verse eight. Other people edited it, redacted, put some stuff on at the Mm -hmm. end, which was true. And we're not saying it isn't legitimate witness and testimony. But Mark wanted us to end in verse eight because Mark has been inviting us into the story and into the confusion and into the chaos and into the fact that if we're paying any attention at all, the disciples are not righteous. (laughs) They're not getting it right, in other words. Every step of the way, they're tripping over themselves. And, um, you know, at the Garden of Gethsemane, they're confused and they see this chaos on, on the on the mountain at the Transfiguration. They're confused. Peter doesn't get it. Uh, Peter's confession, he doesn't fully get it. He doesn't understand it. So Mark's saying, okay, you've kind of followed along the whole way. I'm going to tell you Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to say the angel said he rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. That should be enough. I don't need to tell you all these other stories about how Jesus appeared here and he appeared there, which is really pushing my buttons because I'm the kind of guy who loves the evidence of the resurrection stuff. You've all heard me preach about that. I I love Mark just doesn't give us a ton. Mm-hmm. Except to say it happened, you're gonna yeah. have to. You're you're. It, and it, you should not be surprised, given if you've been paying attention to the story the whole way through. And I'm gonna purposely make you decide. Yeah. Without, I want I want you to decide based on faith. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to decide based on proof, because if you can decide based on faith, it's gonna go a lot better for you. Yeah. You're you're gonna have a blessed are you. Jesus says to doubting Thomas, if you could believe without seeing. Mm. Yeah. So, and isn't that the beauty of having four different gospels, four yeah, different perspectives? We get four different voices right. to the resurrection and to Jesus' life. It's so mm-hmm. cool. The women run away terrified. And it's the same word that's used for when the disciples see Jesus after he's just calmed the storms. Yep. They're terrified. Why are they terrified? Because they're in the presence of God. And this God that they learned about as young Jewish people growing up in this community was, I can't be in God's presence and survive. And now Jesus has torn the curtain. Mm-hmm. He's welcomed them into his presence and they're running away terrified. And how many times in our lives are we running through this life terrified and we're wondering, God, are you really God? So what do you say to the college student or the Hope Ames member or the person listening to this podcast and say, am I supposed to be terrified of God? You're not because Jesus is, is the God who gets in the boat. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the God who fulfills what's happening in Leviticus, mm-hmm. where there's all these different laws that say that, that God is saying, graciously, I want to make a way for you to be in my presence. And now here's Jesus, the full presence of God, who shows up in the boat and he asks them, why are you so afraid? And I know we're going back to last week. And I apologize for that. But he says, I, why are you so afraid? He doesn't say, why were you afraid during the storm? I get that. Why are you so afraid? Mm. It's me. I understand why you're afraid of storms. I understand why you're afraid of great forces in this world. But wh- I'm, I'm the God who loves you. You don't have to be afraid of me. And the women run away terrified. And sometimes we're running through this life scared. Is God still God? Is God still going to deliver? Is God still going to do what I need God to do? So facts will absolutely inform your mind and it'll present a lot of evidence that's helpful for us. But the love of Jesus who shows up in the boat, who goes to the cross, who doesn't want the pain, but he wants you you can trust his love. Facts will inform, but love trusts. And I think that Mark is being a bit pastoral here. 
trust him. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of other people who can give you the facts, but I want you to trust him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So young adults, trust him or whoever you are, trust mm-hmm. him. That's right. It's a misunderstanding to think the Bible was written just to prove Jesus. The Bible was written mm-hmm. to inspire faith. Come on. And faith is the thing that saves us. Getting proof that Jesus rose from the dead, that's just not going to do it. Then, then you're just looking at a case deeper than that. This is hard, but yeah. this is where the good stuff is. I mean, if you really want to grow as a follower of Jesus, it's going to have to be by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So, man, this was fun. I can't believe how fast the time is. Yeah, went. really good. Thank wow. you for joining us, uh, yeah. everybody. Emily, anything to add? I mean, I think it's really good. You guys have good answers. you have good questions well good yeah thank you and thanks for everybody tuning in and uh bringing your questions to us they really do inform this podcast Mm -hmm. we thank you so much for listening um word is getting out this podcast is growing and we're really excited about that because we believe god can use things like this to get his word out Mm -hmm. so keep spreading the word uh share this podcast on social media uh like it whatever it is that helps Get the word out. Tell your friends about it. And we'll see you in worship this weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform. And we'll see you next time.